Thanks for tuning in to the Entertainment News Break on the Let's Get Ready Network, the place for coverage of all the things you love. On this feed, we cover movies, TV, video games, and more. If you're interested in supporting the network, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash LGR underscore network. And please leave a rating and a review of this episode. Enjoy the show, everyone. New shoes, new tracks, like who's that? I'm new, come back better than last year. It's a new me, never gonna look back. You're never gonna look back. Cause damn, I was built to last. You move slow and I move fast. And that's facts. Only I can make a change. Slowly take a step today. I will never be the same. Cause that's what it takes. What is up? What is up, everybody? We are here for another week of entertainment news break where we cover the news that's happened this past week. Goose is uh, joining us, it looks like it, out of nowhere. Uh, he wanted to be part of the show after he uh, got uh, starred in the last trailer for uh, Guardians of the Gap. No, wait, that was for Miss Marvels. How you guys doing? How you doing, Adelia and Chris? Doing Back good. Well, let's get started. <laughs> All right, let's start with the weekend box office report. The Super Mario Brothers movie is a bona fide blockbuster and the first movie of the year that will soon cross the $1 billion mark at the worldwide box office. It grossed a massive $92.5 million in its second weekend at the North American box office, notably more than expected and representing a drop of just 37%. That's up from Sunday's estimate of $87 million and marks the biggest second weekend ever for an animated film surpassing Frozen 2, which earned $86 million in its second weekend. Through Sunday, Super Mario has grossed $353.3 million domestically and $339.8 million overseas for a jaw-dropping global tally of $693.1 million, um, and it crossed the $700 million mark on Monday. Uh, the animated sensation smashed numerous records in its launch over the long Easter holiday weekend, and by midweek, it had uh, moved past Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania to rank as the top-grossing movie of the year to date at the domestic, international, and worldwide box office. It's also now the number one video game adaptation of all time worldwide after passing Warcraft and Pokemon Detective Pikachu. As for the rest of the box office, heading into the weekend, many analysts thought Renfield would place number two behind Super Mario, but the Pope's Exorcist prevailed with a debut of $9 million. Overseas, the pit grossed another $10.4 million from 51 markets for a running foreign total of $27.4 million and a global total of $33.6 million. Holdover John Wick Chapter 4 narrowly beat out Renfield for number three with $8.04 million for a domestic tally of $160.2 million. The movie has grossed another eight grossed another 18.6 million overseas for a stellar foreign tally of 189.6 million and a franchise best 349.8 million globally. Renfield was fourth with a domestic debut of 8.02 million and Air was fifth with 7.8 million. What do you guys think about how Super Mario continues to dominate the box office? I, I didn't expect this. I didn't. I mean, you know, I, I really thought that the first weekend was going to be a good weekend. I mean, a lot of us nostalgia-wise love Mario, and I thought that was what was going to happen. I didn't expect it to have the legs that it does. And even though we're going only into the second week, to only have a 37% drop-off and, in, let's face it, almost make $100 million your second week Yeah, for an animated film? Holy cow. An illumination. I might... Except that from uh, expect that from from Disney and Pixar, maybe DreamWorks, but Illumination, no one saw this coming, and I just want to know uh, uh, who else is drinking the crack in the water right now? Because wow, this is so much fun. Yeah, like uh, my thing is, I didn't totally expect like maybe to be this big, but I knew it was going to be big. It's like uh, one of the things that I was talking about on uh, the show, like when they, the first week it was out there is like, why finally, like, and why did it take so long for somebody to be able to like, know this is one of the most popular franchise of all video game history. And they made the correct choice. All these things are trying to do these live action adaptations, all this stuff. They made the correct choice. 
uh, Super Mario Brothers is a video game that works best. Now, some of your newer video games, because they're so realistic looking and stuff, they're made for movies in a lot of cases, like The Last of Us Show. But with this, Super Mario Brothers is made for animation. They made for animation, and it's made to have stupid, dumb fun with. And like, like I said, all the adults are taking their kids, probably even more than once, to go see this movie because it's a movie they can enjoy. They get the nostalgia feeling for themselves, and their kids know who the characters are because Mario's been going for years. Like every kid that's got a Nintendo Switch, you know, or had anything uh, growing up, and uh, Mario's been known. So, like to me. The, the biggest shocker is not how much money this film's making is like how why did it take so long for someone to finally be like yo we need to make a legit movie like the first movie that was live action back in the day silly goofy like stupid I know like was not good at all really you watch it now just because you want to like watch something that's so terrible maybe it's funny but like that was like what 20 years ago maybe even over 20 years ago like uh like I said, this is something that should have been out there on the radar. Now, along with the other box office stuff, um, man, this might be another year. I thought last year was was a, a golden year for horror because, like, almost every time we did box office, there was a horror film that surprised people, came out of nowhere, stuff like X and uh, Barbarian and stuff like that. Like, and right now, Pope's Exorcist horror film. Uh, it doesn't have great like reviews and stuff when it comes to say now it's not super bad on Rotten Tomatoes uh, audience scores like about 80 percent uh and everything else but I actually thought I liked it I thought it was like a serious movie uh and like really kind of brought back some of those old school feels from like the original Exorcist done back in the 70s and then you have Renfield that's technically horror but it's comedy at the same time like I knew that was going to be okay just because Nick Cage is involved and people's going to want to so see him be goofy so I knew a decent amount of people. I actually thought it would do better than what it did. But yeah, the biggest surprise on this thing to me is the Pope's Exorcist coming in at number two, uh, surpassing John Wick and beating Renfield. They both came out at the same uh, exact week, which sometimes isn't the greatest thing to do. But I thought both of those movies did pretty good. They both did uh, over $8 million, though, in the first weekend. And they're not like these super high-powered big budget, big IP movies. So those movies never do like the, you know, crazy Marvel numbers or even Mario Brothers numbers, but pretty good for what they are. Absolutely. Speaking of X, Mia Goth, who established herself as a rising talent in horror with last year's X and Pearl, is jumping into the horror-centric side of the Marvel Cinematic Universe because she's a late addition to Blade, the Hollywood Porter has confirmed. Uh, Blade stars Mahershala Ali as the titular half-human, half-vampire who spends his time hunting vampires to avenge his late mother. Jan Demange, the director known for Lovecraft Country, is at the helm of the project, which has a script by Michael Starbury. And it was has a release date of September 6, 2024. I'm excited about Mia Goth. I'm excited about her. She's super great. She played a great role. She... Uh, Great actress uh, in her two spots in X and Pearl. Uh, done a very real, like, just awesome job. Like, Chef's Kiss to her. Like, those movies, like I said, were surprising last year in the horror genre. Uh, it makes sense that she'd play, like, in a movie like Blade. I just don't know what we're going to do. Uh, Marvel has said that the only, like, R-rated movie they're going to be doing is going to be Daredevil. I think Blade should be R-rated just because it's a movie about a guy killing vampires. And there should be a lot of blood. I don't, I'm not saying they have to throw a lot of cuss words out or do nudity or any of that kind of stuff, right, to normally get an R rating. But this movie should have blood galore because of what it acts like what the actual characters are. So to me, it should be R rated as well. So I don't know how they're going to get by without doing this as R rated. So I'm a little worried there. This also this project has had problems uh, almost from the beginning, like getting everything situated, who's going to be the actors or actresses involved in it. Like, I think they've already had to change their uh, writers or directors maybe once or twice. It's getting delayed from whenever they originally said it by a decent amount. Like, it's not like, oh, we're delaying it for a couple of months to put it in a better position or something like that. They're delaying it for a longer time than that. So I don't even know if they know what their true 100 percent game plan. Maybe they figured that out now, but I don't know if they knew that from the beginning. So I'm a little worried about this project. Not only that. But it's like I've talked about with James Gunn and Superman. Like he got rid of Harry New Cavill, which a lot of people liked as Superman. They wanted another movie with him as Superman, and they didn't get it. And then James Gunn and them took over. 
but it's similar to me because in that aspect, like I've said, when James Gunn puts out that Superman movie, he better not only have like a great actor to portray Superman, but he better have a very good story to tell. There's going to be a lot of people jump on him. Same thing with this Blade movie, because unlike a lot of the other comic book stories that people done in the earlier years that may not be looked upon as being great, Blade isn't one of those. Like we ended up getting three movies from that franchise because the first one especially was so good and so beloved. People loved it. So not only do they have the pressure of making Blade for this new Marvel universe and setting it in somewhere in the timeline, they also have the pressure. They have to be better than the original one or there's just going to be a lot of blowback with it. So that's one of the things I'm a little worried about Blade because I'm excited about Blade. My kind of story to tell, it's going to be different than most of the Marvel uh, stuff that's been coming out. So like, it'd be a cool change for me, just like, uh, for instance, Deadpool would be and stuff like that. But like, let's see. Um, I am worried about this project though. Yeah, there's there's not guys? enough there's not enough coming out right now for this uh in terms of news. I feel like you know, we're we're talking about a movie that's supposed to end phase 5 as of right now the way the schedule sits. Uh and I just don't see it happening. In fact, I kind of have this creepy feeling that in the back of my head they're going to move Blade to series and it'll be like a six episode run. I don't think they know what they're dealing with it. Um, the, the, the pressure, I think Justin, you said it right. It deserves to be rated R. And I think the pressure to make that happen is gonna, gonna be existent. Here's your problem. The one scheduled to come right after the November is Deadpool three, which we know they've said is going to be rated R. We know that for a fact is Disney willing to put out a risk of double rated R movies in the MCU and to potentially not have that younger audience that you would normally bring in with, you know, with a, a, a PG 13 or a PG film. So I think blade, we're going to watch it happen. I think blades going to end up, end up moving more to a series role. Uh, and you're going to see it knocked out of that final spot for phase five. Possibly. That yeah, wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah, I could see that happening too. Um, Deadline is reporting that talent manager Entertainment 360 has dropped Jonathan Majors. The recent move by Majors' longtime manager comes three weeks after the star was arrested on domestic violence charges in New York City. Uh, Majors' departure is said to be because of issues surrounding his personal behavior. His representation problems didn't stop with don't stop with just this. PR from the lead company has also initiated a break with the actor in the last month. And as a more minor element of this, Majors and Fashion House Valentino mutually agreed that the actor would not be attending this year's Met Gala as one of its guests. Majors was arrested March 25th over an alleged domestic dispute with a 30-year-old woman. The unnamed victim was taken to hospital with minor injuries to her head and neck, according to authorities. He's expected to appear before a judge May 8th as he faces multiple counts of harassment and assault from the New York City DA. Majors has already shot the second season of Loki, in which he reprises his role of Kang the Conqueror and won't go before cameras for Avengers the Kang Dynasty for quite some time. And Deadline is also reporting that there have been zero conversations in the Marvel camp about dropping Majors from the MCU. All right, on this particular topic right here, uh, I'm going to stay because I still think that we don't know everything. So I'm still going to stay with, I don't think anybody should be attacking Jonathan Majors and nobody should be attacking the woman trying to say she falsely did this or that, or like I said, or even uh, attacking Majors saying he's a piece of crap yet. Because truly, we 100% don't know. We're not the investigators. We don't have all the news. You know, like when it first happened, the lawyer came out and said, oh, we got a video that's going to exonerate the guy. But like, I'm like, why is it taking so long? If the video is so clear cut, why is it taking so long for this video to be released? So that to me seems a little off. Uh, maybe it doesn't mean anything. Maybe it's just a, a law thing, right? They don't want to release things that could be for evidence or something out to the public yet or any of that kind of stuff. So that might be the reason for that. Now, I am, I'm not going to lie. These two people, like his, his PR firm and management or whatever, like backing out and getting away from him doesn't look good. Now, does that mean that he's this piece of garbage that did this stuff and they found out some stuff and everything else in the background? And all this that like uh, makes him guilty. No, it still does not make him guilty. That's still not the point at that point to where you go and attack him. But 
the biggest thing is, is it doesn't look good, right? Whether it's him being guilty or not, it just doesn't look good face value. A lot of people's going to see this kind of news and automatically start throwing the accusations out there and everything else saying that he did it. Look at these people. They're backing away from him because they know he'd done it. Uh, they know some of the background stuff more than we do. So they know that information. So they're getting away. I don't think that's the case. So I'm still telling people to pump the brakes when it comes to that and attacking Jonathan Majors. The most interesting part of this is like, this will be the first time and the movies have already been taking a hit, right? We got, I, I even made a video uh, this week about the Miss Marvel's trailer, like getting like a bunch of dislikes. Uh, some of the last couple of movies haven't been like rated as well as the other ones in the past or making as much money as they were in the past. They still making money, but not as much money as they were beforehand. Uh, people starting to seem to get a little tired of some of the stuff. And, and like Disney's even admitting they're trying to change like a little bit of the direction of this next phase and everything else and all that stuff. So they're even admitting that they agree that there's some things they need to change. This Jonathan Major stuff throws a big, huge like uh, wrench into this whole thing, right? Like because if it does turn out that he is guilty, that he treated this woman really crappy and deserves to be punished, man. That throws a that is crazy. That's gonna be there's no that they they gotta like recast because they can't take that character away, which is then gonna make some people unhappy. So they've got that problem co possibly coming up to them with that going on. And then, like, what do you do with a show like Loki, which I've heard that he's pretty prominent in? He's gonna be pretty prominent in this second season of Loki. And if he is, and they've already shot most of that stuff, and then it turns out he's guilty, like, are they gonna release that show? Are you going to still put that show out with a guy who actually did something bad? So there's some things here that possibly may happen if it turns out that Jonathan Majors is a piece of crap and he really did attack this woman and, and, and abuse her and stuff. Because if he did, you shouldn't be putting nothing out about him. You definitely should be recasting and all this stuff. But it's going to uh, divide the fan base even more than some of them that's been like not liking some of the movies that came out in the last year or so. So I think that's the biggest point of, uh, that people are really talking about. If, if, it's still an if, but if he done these things, man, Marvel is in a bad situation. And DC starting to creep up there, a little bit more excitement with some of their things, like the James Mangold being announced to do swap thing. Looks like they got things in order. It looks like they're starting to be a little better. This may be the chance for DC to really rise up and become cream of the crop. They've always been second tier to Marvel always been second tier to Marvel. Now this is their chance to really get up there and be number one if they can keep all their stuff straight. The problem we face is that, unfortunately, the court of law is nowhere near as powerful as the court of public opinion. And the reality is whether this man is innocent or guilty, it doesn't matter to the, to the matter of how it looks. The damage has been done. You know, whether he, he is guilty legally or not, it's not going to matter. It's already tainted the idea of it. And a big company like like Marvel is going to have to say, you know what? We can't take the risk. We just can't. They'll, they'll probably figure out some way in universe that it's a different actor. We'll address it, deal with it, and move on. Uh, that's probably going to happen. And again, I, I have no opinion of whether he did or do, in, in my opinion. It's innocent until proven guilty, and I think court of public opinion and the court of law should be a lot closer. But uh, I, I'm not here to, to condemn or condone anything he has or hasn't done because I don't know anything. I know nothing. But uh, like I said, court of uh, public opinion says that's too hot. You got to drop it and move on. It's too dangerous. Yep. Yeah, unfortunately, and that happens way too often and way too much. And the problem is, is like we think that Twitter, we think that all this like public opinion stuff on all these things are like super huge population. It's really not. It's really not. It's only like a percentage of the population and not even all that percentage is like, say, against it or for or whatever. Right. It's uh, but we think it is because that's what we see because we're online and we see these things and we see these videos and we see uh, these reactors that talk about it and all that good stuff. But. Really and truthfully, it's only a small portion of the people. There's a lot of people out there that don't even know this going on. They don't even know. All they know is this guy's playing Kang, and they've seen a movie uh, two weeks or so ago with him in it, and he's been on a show. They don't know nothing about this news because they don't pay attention to it, but we'll find out.
Absolutely. Uh, Justin, there were a couple of trailers that came out this week that you wanted to talk about real quick. Yeah, just real quick. Uh, so Talk to Me was a trailer that I saw seeing these movies this past weekend when I put out my reviews for The Pope's Exorcist and Renfield. Uh, and Talk to Me looked really interesting. It's uh looks like these people were having a party. It was some kind of remembrance day or whatever. And they had this hand. It looks really creepy. Girl touches it and like supposedly could like speak or see the dead or something for a little bit of time. And I don't know if it's like set up to be like a practical joke kind of thing or whatever, but it turns out to be something real. Uh, she feels it and everything else. And it's like this creepy presence is like basically possibly escaped uh, from the from the world of the dead. And uh, it's got a lot of like possibilities to be really good. A lot of uh, good remarks like this could be the best uh, horror movie uh, of the year. But I've also seen that for Evil Dead Rise from the early screenings of it. Uh, so, yeah, man, like I said, it's another horror movie that's coming out. This like looks like it's got pretty good, uh, you know, news coming out with it. Uh, on top of that, the other one is also a horror movie. Now, more of a I wouldn't say this one's like straight 100 percent. Well, yeah, it is going to be. I don't, it's going to be an old school style horror movie, like a little bit different um, because it is the last voyage of the Dementor, which is the story that's been told like of the ship that Dracula gets on that goes from uh, Europe to America. Basically it's like that uh, trip that he's on. He's on this ship and it's uh, traveling. So they're there, they're in the middle of the ocean with nowhere to go. And it's got Dracula on it. And for whatever reason, he wakes up and decides he's got to get some, he got to eat and it looks uh, really super cool. It's got the uh, guy. Crap, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but it's got one of the guys, the uh, old guy, the the Onion Knight from uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, he's uh, one of the guys that's on this ship. He may be the captain or something, but dude, this uh, trailer looked really good. I even tweeted about it while I was in the theater because I thought it was like one of the best trailers I've seen here more recently. So like, I'm hyped about it. But like I said, that's two more horror movies coming out that look really good possibly. And the first one's done by a 24 and they almost knock all their stuff out of the park whenever they do stuff. So I, like I, I think this year is going to be another year where you're going to have these movies like Mario brothers that hits like the big market and kills it. Like uh, Mario brothers are probably a couple of other movies that comes out this year. Big budget movies going to do the same thing, but I think horror may dominate again. Cause we just had two come out this past week. And if I'm not mistaken, it's next week that, uh, Evil Dead Rise comes out. I'm excited to be able to see it. Okay. Warner Brothers Discovery on Wednesday unveiled Max, its refreshed streaming service combining programming from both the original HBO Max streaming service and Discovery Plus. It launches May 23rd and will cost $15.99 a month or $150 a year for the ad-free version and $9.99 a month or $100 a year for the ad-supported tier. A third ultimate ad-free version with 4K resolution, 100 offline downloads, and Dolby Atmos sound will be available for $19.99 a month or $200 a year. In unveiling the updated product at an event at the Warner Brothers lot in Burbank, J.B. Perret, WBD's president and CEO of Streaming and Games, said Max will feature personalized recommendations across platforms for users after they finish watching a TV show or film. Previously, this was only available on the HBO Max homepage. App and video start times are also expected to be 20 to 30% faster, depending on your device, to help address glitchiness that viewers have long taken issue with on the preceding HBO Max platform. Existing HBO Max subscribers will maintain their access to the rebranded Max at the same price, with profiles, watch history, and other viewer settings porting over to Max. Discovery Plus subscribers will not be impacted by the launch of Max, though they will be given the opportunity to upgrade their subscriptions to Max. Um, they also announced a number of new programs, including Harry Potter and the Conjuring TV shows, a new Game of Thrones spinoff based on George R. R. Martin's Duncan Egg novellas, and a new Big Bang Theory spinoff. And the company shared previews of The Penguin, The Sympathizer, The Regime, and True Detective Night Country, which will star Jodie Foster. The Max launch comes a year after Warner Media and Discovery completed its $43 billion merger. Um, with the combined company led by CEO David Zaslav. Part of Zaslav's pitch to Hollywood was the creation of a streaming service that could compete with Netflix and Disney Plus by combining the best of HBO's highbrow scripted fare with Netflix Discovery's more lowbrow but profitable lifestyle and reality programming. 
By removing HBO from Max's branding, WBD is also hoping to appeal to a wider audience that may have previously turned away from the streaming service due to the HBO's name and reputation and higher price point. Um, Perrette said removing HBO from the branding was part of, quote, preserving and protecting the most iconic trailblazing brand in entertainment. HBO is not TV. HBO is HBO. It needs to stay that way, which is why we will privilege it in the product experience and also not push it to the breaking point by forcing it to take on the full breadth of the new content proposition. To date, WBD has 96.1 million streaming subscribers across HBO, HBO Max, and Discovery Plus, but the company has not broken out its subscriber numbers per service, though Zasloff has said Discovery Plus, which will remain a standalone service, is profitable on its own. Thoughts on Max? All right, so I don't care that much about the merger or any of this stuff. I don't really care that they rebranded. I don't care because, to be honest with you, it's not changing a huge amount. Like, you can get a cheaper version if you want that's got ads, which I think is all right. That's cool if you want to go that route. Like, if you don't mind ads, whatever, why not? Save yourself a couple of dollars. But the thing about it is, all I want to hear is, is that HBO, the people that make these shows that I love, that has been so great, isn't trying to intermingle totally with the whole group, right? You know what I'm saying? So, like, I want the teams that HBO usually uses to stay together when they come up with projects. Because almost every project they do is done well, done super great. We just, like, I've already brought it up once this episode, but uh, The Last of Us was done amazingly. One of the best adaptations of a video game of all time uh, ever. Like, I'd even say it's even a little bit better than even the Mario Brothers uh, adaptation right now. But that's uh, just because, for one, it's animated. But for two, on top of that, uh, Mario Brothers did change some things. Like, that it's a core beat to, like, what Mario Brothers is a little bit. I think The Last of Us even stayed truer to that, to be honest with you, even though there were some changes. The story and the plot was there. It never got changed, which was, like, super great they did in the show. But like the stuff they have coming out, the Duncan Egg series, I know a lot of people is going to get excited about that. A lot of people love those stories and those books that George R. R. Martin's has done that adds to the story of the Game of Thrones. We already saw the House of Dragons, how great it was. So like they keep those kind of teams together that get those things situated. Like so whoever has been the team that picks people to be in charge of these projects and puts things in motion. I don't want those people to get messed with. I don't want them to be out there trying to help WB or Discovery, or whoever, to be coming out with their stuff. I just want that group to stay together. If they do, then I don't care. I don't, I don't, like, True Detective's another one that seems pretty good. I like the thing that True Detective's been doing with, like, grabbing these older actors and stuff that maybe not doing as much and throwing them in these, like, really good, well-written shows. Like, I remember the first True Detective was, like, amazing. Uh, the second one wasn't as good, but it was still solid. So, like, like I said, HBO puts out some of the best things content show wise that you'll ever do. And I do agree. They're not TV because their things aren't watered down for TV, right? They do a lot of shows. Yes. And it seems like TV when you watch them, because they release their shows like one time a week, just like TV would, but TV is a lot more watered down with a bunch more episodes, usually per season. And like, you can only do so much on television. HBO has almost no rules because it's a subscription service. They can do what they want to with their shows and stuff. So I do agree with that assessment that it's really not TV. It's something different. I am not excited about this merger. Not at all. Um, I'm actually a recent uh, joiner to, to uh, uh, HBO Max. Uh, only because I really wanted to get into more of uh, House of the Dragon and... Uh, I'm actually a big fan of Big Bang Theory. I wanted to watch it again. It's got the entire DC library. And I was like, okay, you know, and there's a lot of great stuff that's beyond the DCEU that exists in the DC library. So I was like, okay, cool. When I heard Discovery was coming in, I was like, what? Why are we doing this? The thing is that Discovery Plus right now, when you look at kind of the channel lineups they bring in there or the content, you're talking what is basically amounted to a giant coalescence of crappy reality TV, HGTV, TLC, History Channel, Discovery, Animal Planet, Lifetime, A&E, all of them, which at their point, at, at their heyday, actually had great content that was, I don't know, educational. Now it's just horrible stuff. Pawn Stars, Sister Wives, 
uh, uh, fix it up shows that are so scripted it's not even funny. Like this, it stuff reminds is, me of MTV, Chris. It, it reminds yeah. me like MTV used to actually have music on their mm-hmm. tail on, on the actual channel. Let me tell you, That's when I one. grew up, I was watching History Channel Discovery Channel with my father, and there was actual documentaries, actual stuff you could learn. You don't get that now. Now, Food Network. If they gave me more than just uh, the the reality shows that are on there, which aren't terrible, but if you give me more than that, actual cooking shows, I'd be okay with that. I'm a Food Network, all right. But one thing out of all of this, for all of this, I, I, I'm not really that excited. Now, luckily, this doesn't affect me too much. It doesn't. I'm not going to pay any different. I'm already paying what I'm paying, which is fine. So it's just added content for me. But I feel what it's going to end up doing is watering it down with, all of this crap that doesn't need to be there that I, and I know I'm, I'm maybe somebody who just doesn't like a lot of reality television. Some of it I do, but I think that's the place it's gone. And all of these channels that I see are available on this. That pretty much seems like the focus of where they're at now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I, agree. I, I agree with you too, Chris. Like uh, it doesn't really affect me that much as long as they don't screw with uh, HBO and them putting their shows together. The HBO group of this staying together and doing what they've been doing for years. As long as it doesn't affect them and their quality of TV shows and stuff they've been putting out, I'm told I don't give a crap. I ain't going to watch some of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Speaking of DC, the full voice cast has been announced for DC Studios' planned animated series Creature Commandos. The project marks the first effort within James Gunn and Peter Safran's new DCU timeline and will release in 2024. The cast includes Frank Grillo as Rick Flagg Sr., Zoe Chow as Nina Mazursky, Alan Tudyk as Dr. Fosterus, David Harbour as Eric Frankenstein, Indira Varma as The Bride, Sean Gunn as both G.I. Robot and Weasel, and Maria Bakalova as the new character Princess Alana Rostovic. Also on board are Steve Agee and Viola Davis reprising their Peacemaker and the Suicide Squad roles of John Economos and Amanda Waller, respectively. Gunn wrote all of the episodes and says he is directing the primary actor's initial recordings to get the voices right, but that he is not the director of the show. The project is part of the DC Universe's first phase, which is called Chapter One, Gods and Monsters, which so far spans 10 titles, including movies and TV series such as Batman, The Brave and the Bold, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, Swamp Thing, and more. Uh, Gunn also confirmed that some of the cast are already part of live-action plans, so their characters could show up in some of the other announced projects. I'm not, like, super excited because I ain't gonna lie to you. I'm not like Koi Jandrew or whatever. I don't know half the people that you said, like, as far as their characters and comic books and stuff like that. I don't know crap about most of them just to be an honest here uh some good names is put in there uh i don't know is it the best thing to start your new thing with an actual animated thing maybe maybe it's according on how good it is if it's great and good and gets good reviews that it is what it is uh but yeah let's see what's happening like i said my, the most excited thing that I am ready for uh, from this whole first section that they have announced so far is the James, Man- James Mangold working on Swamp Thing. And James Mangold is my man that I'm going to be keeping my eyes on because he's not only got Swamp Thing, but he's also going to be doing like the first ever Jedi story for uh, Star Wars. And like, so I'm like hoping this guy knocks both things out the park. I hope he get, revives two franchises up to the top of the, it could be, you know what I'm saying? Like makes it super exciting and everything. Other than that, not too into some of this, but I might get into it as it gets closer and we get more details and we start getting, say, some footage from it. Yeah, this doesn't surprise me. I'm a big fan of uh, of Harley Quinn, uh, of uh, Harley, well, it's Harley Quinn, but I call it the Harley Quinn and Ivy show, uh, uh, animated again right. on, on HBO, and it's really good. When I first watched it, uh, I'll be honest, I had no idea it was going to be what it was. I thought, oh, it's a Harley Quinn show cool i watched it like this is very grown up for an animated movie or oh yeah it's dope it's a dope oh and i love it i think it's great so if you do this new one i think with a little bit of that flair to it uh, and you stay consistent with it then it's completely fine it's great you're gonna take you have your own take on it and a lot of this cast i know has worked on uh on the harley quinn show especially tudyk tudyk was clayface throughout the whole thing 
So mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm fine with it. This casting looks great. You know, we're just starting something new all over again. Uh, if this is the way they're going to go with it, that's fine. This is not the worst way to do it. Uh, and by doing it as an animated miniseries, you don't get as much risk. You know, yep. if, if people like it, great. This is going to go well. We can build that, on this later. And if they don't like it, it was a mini series. We didn't waste as much money. Thank you very much, Mike, by dropping by. But, like, I will say this. Uh, I do think Chris brought up a very good point there we can hit on real quick, and that is maybe starting out animation's a smart move, right? Because there's not a huge, like, pressure because, like, if the animated thing they do doesn't really work out that good, it's not going to be, like, a bad taste in the mouth for any of the other stuff they got going on. But if it turns out to be good and, and people start raving about it, like, oh, God, now people's going to get more excited about this first, like, little chapter or whatever you want to call it for this new DC that's coming out. So I actually think this might be a smart move. Like, I didn't think that starting with animation would be that good. But you know what? Maybe it is. Not Maybe enough people, not enough people talk about how amazing the DC animated universe has been. Oh, yeah, that's always not, been a bright spot. Yeah, no, and I, I love it. This is what I, I, I really like is that I still find every couple of months or so another DC animated Batman or Superman or Flash or something's coming out. I'm like, all right, let's see what this has got. Some of them connect, some of them don't. And I love that aspect of it. So if they're taking that care uh, uh, into this new one, I think they're going to be uh, pleasantly surprised uh, and in a good place to to start out uh, in this new direction. All right, Dave, what's next? Uh, we've got some Mortal Kombat 2 news. Um, in a recent statement on social media, producer Todd Garner confirmed a recent report that Mortal Kombat 2 would start filming in June. Filming is said to be lasting until September and will once again take place in Australia, which is where the previous movie was shot. Outside of these broad bits of information, Garner didn't say anything else about the movie, which means the fans are still guessing about what the sequel plot could center around. But according to a new report from That Hashtag Show, Mortal Kombat 2 will feature four new villains in the form of Baraka, Shao Kahn, Sindel, and Quan Chi. Katana will also appear. However, that is unconfirmed. That said, it would make a lot of sense to see Shao Kahn given the villain's prominence in the series. Shao Kahn first appeared in the 1993 video game Mortal Kombat 2, where he was the game's final opponent. The Emperor of Outworld, Shao Kahn is an intimidating villain and has gone on to appear in several other Mortal Kombat games since. With Goro dead at the end of the previous Mortal Kombat film, it only makes sense for the film's producers to bring in another strong villain to fill the void. And that hashtag show didn't mention Johnny Cage in its reporting, but comicbook.com thinks it's a safe bet that the character will play a prominent role in Mortal Kombat 2. Johnny Cage was a major character in the 1995 Mortal Kombat film, but was conspicuously absent from the reboot. However, the ending of the movie seems to make it clear that Liu Kang is going to enlist Johnny Cage for the Mortal Kombat tournament in the sequel, and no actor has been revealed for the role, though. Yeah, I, I'm actually kind of excited about this um, because of the simple fact I actually enjoyed the first Mortal Kombat movie they did. Like, I didn't, I I was like, man, I was like, I watched it. It was good. I had fun with it. Uh, didn't think it was the greatest thing in the world, but it definitely wasn't the worst thing in the world. So I think it was kind of slept on by a lot of people. I thought it was fine. And I didn't have a problem with the way the movie was set up if they were going to be doing more movies because obviously they were trying to tell a story of these people trying to get to the tournament. But it wasn't about the tournament. I think some people watched it and was disappointed they didn't get the tournament, which is really what the game's about. But I'm fine with having some of these characters have their backstory and stuff. But one of the things I think they have working against them is it has been a while since the first Mortal Kombat came out. Like for to, to be honest with you, there's a couple of things that I remember some of the bigger key moments from the first one. But before I watch the second one, I'm going to have to no doubt 100% go back and watch the first one beforehand just to get refreshed. Because it's been a little bit too long, I feel, between that movie and this movie coming out. But I'm glad they're doing it because I enjoyed, like I said, the first Mortal Kombat uh, movie. It, like I said, it wasn't mind-blowing, but it wasn't bad either. So, and I, like I said, I had fun with it. I, I don't even know why, it. guys, I don't even know why this is news. I'm going to be honest. Um, of course, it's going to be Shao Kahn. Who else do you go to? 
Really? Like, I, I grew up playing this game. Like, I know the mythology so well that, like, they have nowhere else to go with it. Adding Quan Chi is a little too much, and I think there, there are some games that they're probably trying to tie into to really connect that, that mythology together, because Quan Chi does play into it in certain ways, and you know, but uh, I, I don't know why this is news. I don't. And, uh, Justin, I'm glad you liked the, this first one, because I didn't. I really didn't like it. I wanted to like it. It's like when I saw the original one back in 1995, I loved it. Of course, again, being 10 years old, 11 years old in 95, of course you love Mortal Kombat. You know, they, they came to life and they were amazing and they were awesome and the story was crap, but the characters were cool. That's what made that movie work was that the characters were the characters and that was fine. Mm -hmm. This one tried to deviate. I thought the first one tried to deviate so much that I end up going, I don't care. I don't even remember the plot. To the to this movie i don't so i don't care about mortal kombat 2 they did a poor job making me care about the first one why am i going to care about the second one i see what you're saying but it's also going to be like even though i did play the mortal kombat games i didn't get like super into the lore i just played with some friends i had fun playing with friends i didn't really get into the story i didn't probably play a mortal kombat game after like the third one to be honest with you so like, but if you are a person that cares about that franchise and stuff, I get where Chris is coming from. If you kept playing the games and kept going into the lore and finding out like what was happening with the story and stuff like that uh, and everything else, I didn't. So like whenever I watched that first one, I didn't have none of those ties, you know, with that stuff going on. But ah, I can see what it is. Like I said, I didn't knock my socks off. So when people come out and say, man, I didn't enjoy it that much. Like I get it. I understand because it didn't knock my socks off. I just didn't think it was bad. And it was done during like the COVID stuff. So like, you know, I, I give it a little bit of a pass there too. You know, maybe they could have did a better job if it wasn't during COVID, that kind of thing. It probably made it more difficult for production and all that kind of stuff. So we'll find out. Okay. What is next? The live action Knuckles series starring Idris Elba at Paramount Plus has announced its cast. Um, in addition to Elba reprising the role of Knuckles from Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Variety has learned that Adam Pally is set to star in the series, once again playing the role of Wade Whipple from the film franchise. The film takes place between the events of Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and Sonic the Hedgehog 3, which is slated to hit theaters on December 20th, 2024. In the series, Knuckles agrees to train Wade as his protege and teach him the ways of the Echidna Warrior, per the official <laughs> logline. Edie Patterson, Julian Barrett, Scott Mascuti, and Ellie Taylor will recur in the series. Rory McCann will, will guest star, as will Tika Sumter, reprising the role of Maddie from the films. Additional casting will be announced at a later date. Jeff Fowler, who directed both the Sonic films, will direct the pilot episode and executive produce the series. Sounds good because that the guy who's done the movies has obviously done super well. Nobody thought Sonic the Hedgehog could do shit. You remember Sonic the Hedgehog came out. They showed what he looked like and fans crapped on it. And then like they changed some things. They were able to redo a lot of stuff. And it came out smelling like roses. It came out being great. And... I'm going to be honest with you. I, I haven't watched the second one. I need to jump on that. But the first one I thought was fine. The first one I had a fun time with. And I didn't think they could do anything with this, like, uh, movie. Like, I thought it was just going to be a joke. You know what I'm saying? I, I watched it to basically laugh at the stupidity. And I was, like, found myself actually kind of liking the damn movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, Dr. Robotnik was, like, perfectly casted. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, so... I thought they did good, you know, for what it is, for it being like a kid's movie uh, and me being an adult and my kid's not super young. So it's not something like I took him to see because like, you know, he was super young and would like stuff like that. I don't think he's even saw the movie, but I have. And I actually thought it was uh, pretty good. So like, hey, man, thumbs up. I mean, it ain't hitting that Mario Brothers. We see who the real king is. You know what I'm saying? All you people out there sign a heads out lovers. We know who the king is. That's Mario Brothers. But, uh, I mean, hell, they done fine, though. And it's live action. they done something that Mario Brothers couldn't. That's one of the things you can stand up on. They've done well with live action, whereas <laughs> Mario Brothers took a big dump. <laughs> I, I'm happy with this. I'm very happy. Um, Sonic was good. Really, like, they they managed to take it, do their own thing with it, and, 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 and just, they've had fun. I love the first two movies. I think they're handled really well. Jim Carrey was really good as Robotnik. So going to series for Idris Elba 
I'm fine with that. That's something that the video games never did. We never had just a Knuckles game. I mean, you had something where you could play as Knuckles, but technically you were cheating, but eh, I don't care. Uh, Knuckles is an interesting character, so I'm totally fine with that going off on their own. And again, this is another one of those with these, these video game lores that there's a lot out there. I think I would love to see more with Knuckles and uh, get, get to know more about Rouge, uh, Rouge the Bat, who is interesting, and uh, um, even more of Eggman. Like, all of this stuff, I don't mean giving it all its own series, but if we want to branch off and explore more of these things away from Sonic, I think there's enough material here and enough talent to make that work. Okay. What is next? Drew Crivello has been hired to serve as the showrunner and executive producer on the live-action TV series adaptations of the Dungeons & Dragons fantasy role-playing property on Paramount+. Plus. Announced in January, the eight-episode project scored a straight-to-series order with uh, Ross and Marshall Thurber penning the pilot script and is set to direct the first episode. Crivello helped to develop films like X-Men First Class and Deadpool while an executive at 20th Century Fox and recently co-created Apple's limited series, We Crashed. Mm -hmm. All right. I don't know. I'm going to kind of disrespect this story right here because I don't really care that much or whatever. They got a Dungeons & Dragons show coming out. I'm going to watch it. You know why? Because the first movie, the first movie they just released is super freaking awesome. It is super good. Like, to me, it, like, God, I love Dungeons and Dragons. Chris has played Dungeons and Dragons. I play Dungeons and Dragons. You, you, and, and like me and Chris, like, talked about the movie after it was done and stuff. And Chris had a little bit more things he had wrong with the film, but none of that overshadowed the heart, the joy, mm -hmm. the like, uh, passion. It looked like these people took care and tried to do a good job with Dungeons and Dragons. A really uh, straightforward and great adaption pulled in a lot of the things that you would see from the Dungeons and Dragons lore. And I don't think made stupid or made fun of it. Like uh, some other people probably would have, they took it seriously. And this movie is super great. And one of the biggest downfalls I think in recent cinema history is that Dungeons and Dragons, my most surprising movie of the year, because I did not have high expectations going into this film. I love this movie. This movie's great. I think this movie right here, maybe not as good as overall as say the first Guardians of the Galaxy, but it damn reminds me of Guardian Galaxy, and it's pretty damn close because it's an IP that I love, Dungeons and Dragons. So I'm being serious with this. The biggest downfall in cinema this year, and people let me down, and, and it's got great cinema scores, critics, and the fans. And this movie should have made way more money than what it's making in the movie theaters right now. Way more. It should be up there. Uh, there should be no shadow of a doubt that there should be a part two of this movie coming out because it should have made the money at the box office and it's made some, right? I don't think they're like losing bankroll over here. And I do think that because of the fans and the critics that did go out and see it, the, the love and outpour that they have, it's in the nineties still, like as far as like audience score, I think it's over the nineties and like critic score, like this thing did it all. It satisfied critics and the fans. That don't happen very often. And when it does like this movie right here, especially where the IP should have made more money, uh, because I'm excited to see a part two to this movie. I'd be first day in the theaters to see it without any, like I'll, I'll actually have expectations this time. So, ah, man, I wish I could like do something to persuade people to just go see it for it to make more money so we can guarantee get a sequel to that movie because it's awesome, amazing, and fun. Adelia, I guarantee you when you eventually get to see it, whether it be streaming or something like that not long from now, I think this is a movie that you're going to fall in love with or at least love or think is great because of how much fun it is and stuff. And it's kind of got that same feel, a little bit of the same kind of things that like Lord of the Rings will have and stuff like that. But it's done well. It's done good. Like I said, it doesn't make uh, the bad guys look stupid and goofy like they try to make in movies like this and everything else. And that's the biggest thing when I see any news for Dungeons and Dragons. Like there's like, yeah, this show, let's do the show. Boom, bam. Look how great uh, the movie was and stuff like that. But it's like, man, the movie just didn't make as much money as it should have made. There's people out there going to see movies that are trash, that ain't that good, that they're spending money on. They should be spending that money going to see Dungeons & Dragons. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're somebody out there that loves a Super Mario Brothers movie and you took your kids to go see that, take your kids and take them directly to the movie theater again. But this time, go and see Dungeons & Dragons. Go and see Dungeons & Dragons. Like, take your kids to see that. It's a kid, family-friendly movie. Uh, 
with a bunch of stuff and you can even have more fun with it. It's not as kiddie. It's a little more grown up. It's got more grown up story involved in it and stuff like that. But your kids can be cool to go see this movie. It doesn't do anything outlandish and it's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I do know that um, one of the producers behind it that's working on this had been working on this for a long time is Joe Manganello. Joe Manganello is a huge Dungeons and Dragons fan. Now, I'm not saying he's writing or directing and everything, but he's part of that kind of creative crew to put put it together coming in. And uh, if you know anything about this guy, he's a big dungeon head. Like the yep. guy has a huge dungeon in his house, and they're just the, the it's the all star Dungeons and Dragons game. Everybody comes up. Vince Vaughn comes. Like this guy knows Dungeons and Dragons. He lives and breathes it. So if, you know, he's part of this team that's putting it together and that we have a TV show coming, we got a show runner, then, you know, I'm, I'm very excited for this. If, you know, you're right, Justin, I, I did like the movie. I had problems with it, but I liked the movie. But I do believe that Dungeons and Dragons works best if you're going to put it on a screen, probably on the TV screen, because you can do more. You could do more over a period of time than you can when you're limited to two hours, you know? So D and D I think fits in here very, very well. Um, So the fact that we've got a showrunner gets me very excited. And I think with the, the, and I'll call it a mild success of the D and D movie. uh, Maybe not the financial success success they wanted, but with the critical success that, that they've talked about, um, I think this TV series is going to get a serious look and I I'll, I'll call it right now. Watch this rival game of Thrones. And I mean that not in necessarily the maturity, but in the ability to tell a story and the ability to go deep into characters. That's what makes Dungeons and Dragons so great is the, the ability to develop character. And I think this is going to be able to do that. Awesome. There I really do want to see the movie. I, ha- I just haven't had a chance to. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking forward. To yeah, it. like I said, I think you'll love it because it's kind of your style. You know, if you like uh, Lord of the Rings and stuff like that, I think it like fits perfectly. Okay. And our last story tonight: uh, Rebecca Ferguson has teased that Denis Villeneuve's upcoming Dune Part Two is superior to its 2021 predecessor, and that's without her having seen any of it. In the film, she reprises her role as Lady Jessica, the mother of Paul Atreides, who is Timothy Chalamet's character, and the Bene Gesserit who trained Paul to harness their powers, even though he's a man. Jessica has a key role throughout Frank Herbert's book, with the adaptation split into two films. She's key to helping Paul truly become Maudib and help liberate the Fremen of Arrakis from the Harkonnen who have taken over the planet. Speaking on YouTube channel Jake's Takes while out promoting her Apple TV Plus series Silo, Ferguson said, I am going to say that part two is better than part one, and that's me without seeing it. That is me saying it based on what I've read, what I've seen, and what I've filmed. I think it's going to be better. The first film ended at the halfway point in the novel, but also got through much of the story's exposition, allowing for a second half that can be more creative and has room to be experimental in ways that the first half couldn't. Uh, Dune Part 2 arrives in November, with the first trailer expected to debut at CinemaCon next week. Justin, you're muted. Oh, now I'm even more hot. Get your clip-out tools ready, people, because I'm going to say something hot. Hot off the press, baby. Like, you're going to make... I might make people pissed. Because, of course, it's going to be better than the first Dune movie because that movie sucked. That movie was not good. That movie, That's one of the reasons why I'm pissed off right now that Dungeons & Dragons ain't making more money because that movie's better than the first Dune, for God's sakes. Like, way better. The first Dune set up these people to be gods. Like, oh, my God. Oh, oh, they badasses. They got beaten like 10 minutes. And they knew it was coming. They knew it was coming. Like, they knew that the bad guys was coming for them, that they knew they were getting set up. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. And then, like, they have a whole scene where the kids in the graveyard scene, right? It's, like, touching and emotional. And I'm like, hell, yeah, this is pretty good. I'm still into the movie at this point because it's pretty close to the beginning. And they're making it out to be like, oh, my God, when this dude is having to to make this decision to, like, rule or not rule, it's going to be a big pressing moment. It's going to be a big scene. It's going to be a big moment in cinematic history when this guy has to choose whether or not to be the leader because he's talking to his father in the graveyard and his father's telling him, you don't have to be. It's got to be something that you choose and all this stuff. It's a real <coughs> touching moment, right? 
Then we get to the freaking part of the movie where he makes the decision and there's nothing. He just slips on the ring and then goes walking out. What? What? Just throw that stupid graveyard scene in the garbage. We didn't even need it. Like, what was, the, what was the animosity he had before he slips the ring on? He literally just gets it from his mom and slides it on his finger. Like, seriously, 100%. It's, that movie sucked. Mm-hmm. That movie, it sucked. I don't care. It looked beautiful. It looked, it, it was a, Blade Runner 2049 was better than this movie. Okay? I'm going to go you ahead know- and tell you. And they're both got the same thing where they look beautiful. And I think a lot of the story is not that super great. It's not well told and, and well maintained and everything else. But like Dune sucked. So of course, hopefully, 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 pray to get beside your bed and kneel down and put your hands together and pray to God that it's better than the first one. Pray to the heavens that it's better than the first one. I'm serious. There were so many plot holes and people just ignored it. And then they try to attack the last Jedi and shit for its so, so-called <laughs> plot holes or so-called moments. Talking about boring, Adelia. There's some boring-ass moments in this damn first movie. Boring as hell. Then they don't even set it up good. It's a bunch of crap. And it's in a desert. That's another thing that pisses me off. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I'm just going to bring it to attention Ferris's comments in the chat. Oh my God, here we go. I disagree wholeheartedly. They didn't set them up as gods. What are you talking about? Uh, you are lucky I'm waiting for the bus. And Adelia, we are going to start drug testing our hosts. Listen, I'm just telling Ferris right now, he should be. We're doing a show for the channels while we're not What's watching What's wrong it. with the desert? But he should be out there right. watching the stinking Kraken out there release themselves up upon the avalanche oh right God. now. I, here, here's, here, I, I, I got to throw in here. All right, Justin. Uh, first of all, I'm a big fan of the original. I like the original. I also like the mini series for Dune and Children of Dune. You talking about like in out. the 80s original? Uh, the original, yeah, the original 80s movie. I like that one. I do. I do. It's not great in terms of accuracy, but it's a film. It's not a bad sci-fi film. I like it. Uh, and the mini series, uh, along with Children of Dune, are really good. The ones that the Sci-Fi Channel did way back in the late '90s, early 2000s. Uh, but I'd like to think back to another book that I beloved, beloved the Never-Ending Story. I love the Never-Ending Story. I saw the first Never-Ending Story when I was a kid. Was blown away. It's only the first half of the book. You know what? Let's do a sequel. They said, "Let's bring in the second part." Oh yeah, this is going to be great. Do you know how crappy the second Never-Ending Story was? It was terrible. Why are you telling me that this is going to be better than the first one when the first one wasn't even that good? I saw a great book destroyed by a sequel. You're telling me that an old, uh, you know what? I'll be reasonable. A passable science fiction film is going to get a sequel that's better than that? Next thing you're going to tell me is that Avatar The Way of Water was better than the first Avatar. They both suck. What are you doing to me? Just destroyed it. That's what he's talking about. He just ripped it up. That, like that, I agree with you 100%, Chris. They screwed up the never-ending story, and it had the best beginning ever. This one is a doo-doo. Like, literally, man, it's trash. It's garbage. And I'm t- like I said, I'm tired of some of the people that I saw online, and they were looking at the Doom movie, and they were talking about how great it was. Like, I don't know why they're yelling, Ferris. And they were trying to talk crap against The Last Jedi that didn't deserve that much crap. Like, listen here. You talk about, come on, man. Oh, uh, a, a, a slow motion, uh, a, a slow speed chase in space. Well, guess what? A slow speed walk in the desert where there's no emotion attached to it. How about that crap? Get out of here, man. Like, we're going to set up these guys as being like warlords almost. Like, oh, my God, the bad guys in this movie are so scared that they go to even worse bad guys to get their help because it's going to be like this most devastating thing they've ever had to face. And they win the battle in 10 minutes. There's almost a two and a half hour to three hour movie with 15 minutes worth of action. I got more action sitting on the toilet every damn day than I did in that damn movie combined. That's a bull crap. 
this woman needs to stop talking because you haven't you you haven't filmed the damn scene. You've been seen no. no she's filmed. Been, she's filmed. Oh, has she filmed? Okay, I'm sorry. My your quote. I thought you meant. She said, "I hadn't seen anything." Well, she I think it's going to be great. Yeah, she said, "I ain't seen anything." What does that mean? Are you telling me that you just read the book and and by your assumption of the book, it should be great? And I, I'll give you that. Okay. By your assumption in the book, maybe it should be. But this is a film, and the problem we have, name for me a sequel film that is better than the original. Godfather 2? Anything else? It doesn't happen. This does not happen. She's making comments here that is just for people to talk about. This woman has no idea. She said, I haven't seen anything. So then you have no credibility in your statement. This is this is ridiculous that we're even talking about this. Listen here. Listen here. This is the last thing that I'm going to say. And we're going to get out of here. We're going to try to watch the last part of this hockey game that's going on right now, okay? This is the last thing I'm going to say about it. Ferris and Dune has something in common. That's right. Dune, a big old turd of a movie, and Ferris <laughs> have something in common. You can't polish them. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. But the rest of you that's guys. not nice. The rest of you guys, you can't polish a turd, baby. But the rest of you guys out there in the chat and watching this right here, I love you guys. And until next time, stay motherfucking sex. New shoes, new tracks, like who's that? I'm new, come back better than last year. It's a new me, never gonna look back. Never gonna look back. Cause damn, I was built to last. You move slow and I move fast. And that's facts. Only I can make.